as we struggle with temptation, we need God's victory. And these verses here are some of the most helpful verses in the Bible that teach us how to address these kind of complications. Back in 2017, a Slavonian cyclist named Luka Pibernik was competing in the Gyro d'Italia cycle race. And when he thought he crossed the finish line first, he raised his hands in victory and slowed down to a pace to enjoy the glory, only to find out that there was one more lap to go. And as a result, 147 cyclists passed him, and he ended 148th in the race. He stopped too soon. And you know, that's a good reminder to us. The Christian life is a race. We're not competing with others. We're competing against our flesh. We're striving to please God with our lives and to glorify Him. And God says we need to press on and not get weary and not quit before we reach the finish line. And that finish line is heaven's glory. One of these days we'll be with the Lord. But until that time, we're in a race and we can't quit. We can't give up. We can't get slack. Or we will fail and be disqualified. And so this morning, as we look at this passage here, Beginning with verse number 24 of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. Verse number 24, he says, Paul here speaking, he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and I bring into subjection, bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. The Apostle Paul here describes how he ran the race. And he gives us an example to follow. And so as we take a look, closer look at this, I want to see Paul's game plan. How did Paul go about doing this? As we look at this game plan that Paul had, I want us to notice, first of all, that Paul knew the vice of sin. He knew the vice of sin. When we talk about the vice of sin, we're talking about the, the, the part of sin that is, is going to defeat us. It's going to hurt us. It's, it, that sin is, is defeating and is dangerous for us. And Paul knew that. Paul compared the Christian life to this race. We saw verse number 24. And when when you trust Christ as your Savior, you enter into that race. You know, every one of us, on the day that you personally put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you entered into that race, the Christian race. And as I said a moment ago, it's not a race to compete with other people. We're not competing with each other to see if we can beat somebody that's next to you in the row. We're competing against our flesh to try to defeat the flesh, to please God, to be able to pass the, uh, the finish line and have God say, well done, our good and faithful servant. But you know, the thing that will keep us back from that is the vice of sin. 
the vice of sin, the problems that sin brings into our lives. In life's race, sin is that vice or hindrance. Go way back to the very beginning of time and we find that Adam brought sin into the world. Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12, he says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Adam and Eve brought sin into this world, and as a result, the innocence in that perfect situation that God had created man with disappeared. And we still live in that broken world. We were born with a rebellious sin nature. We read over in the Psalms, the psalmist described in Psalm 51 as he was repenting of his sin to the Lord. David said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. By that he's saying, When I was born, I was born a sinner. I was born with sin in my life. My heart. And you know, every little child, no matter how innocent they may seem, they're sinners because they were born with a sin nature. They will not have to be taught to sin. They will learn that all by themselves very, very quickly because they have sin in their nature. And Satan, our spiritual enemy, actively promotes sin. First Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8, Peter says, Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Those words, be sober, be vigilant. We've written that little chorus, stay awake, be ready. That's what those words mean, to stay awake and be ready, because the devil is after us. And he wants to defeat us. And Paul knew all this. And there's, this is why Paul was running the race that he was running, because he saw the vice of sin. Sin traps Sin slows us down. Sin distracts us. Sin de- detours us. And sin clog- clogs our hearts. Keeps us from doing right. Sin is a vice. Sin is a problem. Sin is a hindrance. And every one of us struggle with sin. And you know, as we think about these things this morning, I want you to realize I need this message as much as anybody else because we all face sin. Now, the sins and temptations I face may be different than yours. Every one of us have our individual things that we are lured toward and tempted toward. You know, that is true with people who go fishing. You know, there are different kinds of bait depending on what you're going to try to catch. I've never been a fisherman, so don't come to me for advice. But I do know that much. If you put a, a little wiggly worm on there, not every fish is going to go for a wiggly worm. Some of them like live fish. Some of them like other kinds of slimy stuff that appeals to them. But you put the right bait on there, it's going to catch the fish you're after. And so it is in life. There's different temptations for all of us. Some may be tempted with their thoughts. Others may be tempted with lust. Some may be tempted with uh, desires or cravings or all kinds of things that come into our lives that tempt us to do wrong. Sin is subtle, often, often difficult to detect. That's why Eve fell for it. Satan came to Eve with 
subtlety. The Bible says the serpent was more subtle than any of the beasts of the field. Now, we know that it wasn't just the snake. It was Satan in the snake that did that, but it was subtle. It was deceitful. It was tricky, and she fell for it. And Satan does the same with us. Many times he'll come to us and say, well, it's not that bad, and you've got a good excuse, and, and go ahead, and it's all right, it's only once. And he'll, all kinds of excuses the devil brings our way. He's very subtle. Sin is deceptive. It looks okay at the first. You think, this won't hurt anything. It'll be all right. I often feel so sorry when I see young kids out there smoking their cigarette. And I thought, what fools. They don't know that they've got a life ahead of them of this addiction. It's going to cost them a fortune and ruin their lungs and harm them. And why did they start it? Because they wanted to be cool. They wanted to be like their friends. What a poor reason. But they got duped into it. They were deceived. Deceived into thinking that it was important to be cool. And it wasn't. Sin is selfish. Pleases our own appetites. I like that. I want that. That pleases me. That makes me feel good. That's what I want. And it appeals to our flesh. Sin is enticing. It lures like that bait. Put that bait on there and it, they just can't resist it. I gotta give a little bit more. I gotta give a little bit more. And you go and take a little bit more and all of a sudden you get caught. And the trap springs and you're in trouble. Sin is rebellious. It is willfully siding against God, saying, I don't care what God said. I want what I want. Sin is disobedient, refuses to obey. Sin is pleasurable. Even Moses mentioned that in in Hebrews chapter 11. It says that Moses made the comment that sin has a pleasure for a season. But when the season's gone, the pleasure's gone. And that is so true with every sin and every temptation. Say, I just got to have it. And you take it and you, and you indulge in it and you say, well, why did I do that? I feel so miserable. It feels like terrible. And, and the pleasure only lasts for a season. It doesn't last. Sin takes on many specific forms. We could have a list kilometers long. But things like lying, cheating, stealing, swearing, adultery, fornication, anger, gossip, rebellion, hate, bitterness, coveting, lust, addictions, pornography, laziness, idolatry. These are just a few of the things that the Bible mentions, and we know in reality there are a lot of ways that sin attacks us. Paul knew these things. And because of that, Paul said, I'm in a race, and I'm going to run that race to win. Satan wants us to excuse our sin, to sugarcoat it, to call sin by other names. Oh, it was just a mistake. Just a little air. Uh, just, it's just the way I am. I can't do anything about it. It's just the way I am. 
We make all kinds of excuses for our sins. But it doesn't change the fact that God says it's still wrong. Sometimes we even look at them and say, well, I can't find anything in the Bible that specifically says that this is wrong. When we face situations like that, one of the things that helps me is to just say, would Jesus do this? And most of the time, if we're honest, we know whether Jesus would do it. And most of the time we can say, no, he wouldn't do that. That wouldn't be what he would do. And then it shows us it wasn't the right thing to do. So even things when the devil tries to deceive us and to make us think there's nothing wrong with it, we need to be very careful. You need to ask yourself, is there a sin in your life, in your private life, that you excuse or justify? Something nobody else knows about, but you know about it, and you excuse it, and you make excuses for it, and you justify it, and yet you know deep down inside that Jesus wouldn't do it. When that takes place, what we need to do is we need to do what God would want us to do, and that is call it what God calls it. Call it sin. You know, that is the key. We'll never, ever get victory over a sin until we say, that was not right. That is a sin. Because when we make excuses, if we say, well, I don't know whether it's a sin or not. It's not all that bad. Lots of people do it. I think maybe it's okay. Oh, I'm not really sure. And until we call it what God calls it, we're never going to get victory over it. Because we'll always make excuses. We'll always say, well, you know, just, I, I just had to do that because that's the way I am. And everybody else does it, so I'm okay. We need to be honest with God. And so Paul, right from the start, Paul starts out there and he says, I, I, I'm in a race. And he says, when I'm in a race, one receives a prize. He says, I want to be the one that receives a prize. Now, again, he, in a typical race, if we're running, you know, a, a, with a sports contest, we're racing against other people. But in the Christian race, we're not racing against others. We're racing against ourselves and our flesh. And Paul said, I want to be a winner. I want to win. I don't want to lose. I want to be pleasing to God. So Paul knew the vice of sin. Secondly, we find here that Paul feared the venom of sin. The serpent's lies to Eve dripped with venom. He lied to her. He said it would be okay. He said you'll become like God. God won't do those bad things he said he would. He was lying to her. And those lies dripped with venom that were deadly. And as soon as she ate of that fruit, what happened? She died spiritually, and so did Adam, who partook with her. They died spiritually, just like God said. Oh, they didn't drop over dead instantly. They didn't eat it and drop over dead. But they dropped over dead spiritually inside. They lost their fellowship with God, which was the most important thing. They were talking and walking with God Almighty, and that stopped just like that. And God kicked them out of the garden. They lost all the glory and all the blessings that they had received. And the whole world went into the rebellion against God because of their sin. It was tragic. There was great venom to that. And Satan lied to them. He didn't tell them the truth when they disobeyed God. You know, the Bible gives us many examples of sin's venom. You stop and think about some of the stories in the Bible. 
Why does God include all those stories? Some of them are pretty horrific stories. God included them to help us to see that sin does have venom. It is deadly. It is harmful. For example, Achan. Remember back when Joshua and the people were conquering Jericho? They marched around the city all those times and they shouted and the trumpets blew and God knocked down the walls and they went in and conquered the city. And God had said very clearly, do not take any of the spoil. None of the stuff at Jericho is yours. It's all mine. You're not going to get any of it. There's lots of other cities you can have, but this one's mine. Leave it alone. But Achan couldn't, couldn't resist. Achan grabbed himself some silver and clothes and hid him in his tent. And God brought down judgment on Israel. And Joshua cried out to God and said, God, why are you pouring out judgment on us? What do we do? We can't face our enemies. We're running from our enemies and we're dying from... And God says, get up off of your knees. There's sin in the camp. And they found out that it was Achan. What happened to Achan? They stoned him with stones and he died. Not only Achan, but his whole family. You say, well, that's kind of cruel. Why did they kill his whole family? Well, they all knew about it. Nobody said anything. They all knew it was hidden in the tent. I don't know why God did what he did, but God knew what he was doing, and that cost them dearly because of that. The venom of sin. You think of Lot, Abraham's nephew. Lot wandered down towards Sodom, and he became friends with the people in Sodom. He moved into Sodom, and he became a leader in Sodom. Now he's sitting in the gates of Sodom, and he's a big shot in the city of Sodom. But things were falling apart. And God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom, but pull out Lot first. So the angels went down and said, Lot, get your family, get out of here. And Lot went to talk to his kids, and what happened? They said, oh, Dad, you're crazy. God's never going to do that. We're not leaving here. We're staying right here. This is home. They wouldn't leave. So God had his angels pull Lot and his wife and his two daughters out of the city. And he said, do not look back. And as soon as they get out, they hear, they hear the thunder and lightning from God come down from heaven. And it blows up the city and the whole city's burning. And Lot's wife says, i got to look one more time. She looks back and bang, God instantly turned her into a pillar of salt. And his two daughters, they ended up committing incest with him. He, made, he lost everything, all of his property, all of his possessions, his wife, his dignity, his, his daughters. He lost it all. Why? Because sin has got venom in it. Gehazi. You know who Gehazi was? That servant of Elisha? And Elisha healed Naaman the leper. And Naaman offered him all kinds of riches and presents because of this. And Elisha said, no, I won't take any of your presents. I don't want any of them. God did it, not me. Go back home. And Gehazi says, whoa, boy, if I could get a hold of some of those things, that would be pretty cool. So the guy's hardly out of town, and Gehazi goes chasing after him. So, oh, my master changed his mind. He did like a little bit of the gold and silver stuff. And so he gets some of the stuff. He takes it back home. And Elisha says to him, where have you been? He says, I haven't been anywhere. He says, you have been. I saw you. God showed me. And the leprosy that Naaman had is now yours for the rest of your life. What a payment. He got leprosy. He became a curse. He couldn't live with his family anymore. He had to live outside the city. He was ostracized from his people. Why? Because sin is venomous. Solomon. Solomon was a good king in some ways. The wisest man who ever lived besides Jesus Christ. 
And yet he was a wise fool. He was wise. He had the wisdom, but he didn't use it. He wasted his wisdom. And as a result, he was led into idolatry, married all these strange wives, built them idols and built them temples and built them shrines, brought idolatry into Israel. Solomon was the number one main cause for Israel's downfall because he brought all the heathens into Israel. And yes, Solomon at the start was a good man, but he fell apart because of sin. Jezebel. Jezebel was a wicked woman. And that wickedness led her into all kinds of rottenness. And Jezebel was a rotten woman that God said she's going to die. And one day, because of her wicked sin, the dogs are going to eat Jezebel. And that was a real, that was a, a downright curse. I mean, it's bad enough to just die, but to die and have the dogs eat you, the dogs are the scum of the earth, and the dogs eating you is just the worst thing that could possibly happen. And he says, that's what's going to happen to Jezebel. And sure enough, when she died, the dogs ate her. Why? Because sin is venomous. Jonah. Remember old Jonah? The old prophet? God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach. And Jonah said, Nineveh? Nineveh? That old wicked city? I don't want to go there. No way am I going to go to Nineveh. I hate those Ninevites. Look what they've done to our people. They're rotten, wicked. I don't like those Ninevites. So Jonah said, I'm going the other way. Takes off the other way, gets on a ship, heads out to the ocean, and God says, all right, Jonah, you're not getting away from me. God sends a great storm, and Jonah says, sorry, guys, it's my fault. I'm running from God. They said, what are we supposed to do? And they said, throw me overboard, and they'll see what come. They threw Jonah overboard, and immediately the sea was calm, and a fish came up out of the water and grabbed on Jonah, swallowed him up, and Jonah spent three days and three nights inside of that fish until it vomited him up on shore. And Jonah said, I think I better go do what God wants me to do. Sin is venomous. Think of Peter. Peter was that confident disciple. Always sticking his foot in his mouth, saying something he shouldn't say. And the Lord said, one of you are going to deny me tonight. And they all said, who? Me? Me? Who, 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 who would deny you? And then before the evening was over, Peter said, I'll never deny you, Lord. And Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows three, uh, was it twice? A rooster, rooster crows three times, you are going to deny me The other way around. Anyway, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me, all right? And sure enough, the next morning, Peter's denying the Lord, the rooster crows, and Peter realizes he had sinned against God. And what did he do? He ran off and wept bitterly and confessed his sin. Why? Because sin is venomous. Sin is venomous. It'll attack any of us. Think of Ananias and Sapphira. Here's two upstanding people in the congregation of Jerusalem. They're taking collections for the poor. Ananias and Sapphira says, you know, we got an extra house. We could sell that place and, and uh, you know, give some of that money to the church. So they sell it and they get a bigger price than they thought. I was like, ooh, that was pretty good. Hey, I got an idea. Let's just tell everybody we sold it for this much, but, you know, we'll put the extra that we actually got in our pocket. And we'll, we'll get a little bit extra, too, plus we're giving it to church. That's good. And so they did that, and they lied about it. And Peter says, 
How much did you, did you, did, is this all you sold the house for? And he said, yep, that's it. And the Holy Spirit dropped him dead. And his wife comes in a little while later and says, did you sell the house for that much? Yes, we did. Dropped her dead. Sin is venomous. Now they were doing something good. They were given to the church, but they lied about how much they gave. See, I give you all these illustrations because the Bible is full of examples of the venom of sin. We cannot get away with sin and think we're going to be victorious. You cannot win. I cannot win by committing sin. We will get burned. It is venomous. And Paul did not want to be a castaway. We saw that in verse number 27. It says, but I keep under my body and bring into subjection, lest that be any means when I preach others, I myself should be a castaway. The word castaway is an important word in that verse. It means to be, to not stand the test, to fail the test, to not be approved, to be reprobate, to be rejected. Paul said, I do not want to fail the test. I do not want to stand before God and God say, Paul, you failed. I don't want that. I want to be a victor. I want God to be able to say, well done. Now folks, I know, I don't even have to ask all of us this morning, when we stand before God, we're going to want God to say, well done. Not a one of us are going to say, I don't really care whether he says well done or not. If he says, you failed the test, that's fine. No, we don't want that. Not a chance. Not one of us wants that. And yet the truth of the matter is, if we don't run the race and finish the race as a victor, we're not going to pass the test. It doesn't mean we won't get into heaven. There's going to be a lot of people that enter heaven. God will say, I've got a home for you, but no reward. i got a place reserved for you, but no reward. You didn't discipline yourself to be victorious. You didn't overcome those sins. You didn't live for my glory. I've got a home for you, but no reward. And so the Apostle Paul says, that's not what I want. I want to run the race and win. I don't want to be disqualified. The venom of sin leads to death. James chapter 1 and verse number 15 says, Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sin pollutes the heart, Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, a renew a right spirit within me. David cried out to God and said, God, my heart is polluted. Would you clean my heart? I need a clean heart because sin has polluted me. Sin robs of joy. The same Psalm, Psalm 51, David said in verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of my, thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. I need joy back again. Lost my joy. Sin produces guilt, Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through the, uh, my roaring all the day long. For day and night... Thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture turned into drought of summer. We know what that's like. The guilt of sin, 
we've done something wrong and it eats at us, it eats at us, it eats at us until we say, God, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Sin will haunt us with guilt. Sin also hinders our prayers. Psalm 66, 18. So if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. How many times have we cried out to God and God just closes his ears and said, not listening, not listening. Get it right first and then I'll listen. Not listening. We see the same thing in Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. God said, sin blocks my ears. I'm not going to listen if you've got sin in your heart. And as God looks down to our lives, he sees each one of us. And God, we can't hide anything from God. I can't hide anything from God, neither can you. He sees it all. And he says, if there's sin there, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. God is absolutely pure. And he cannot listen to our sinful requests. When we... We must not think that our sin is an exception. You know, there's that temptation to think, well, every, everybody's doing it. You know, every sin is venomous. Every sin always drips into the old serpent's venom. That's what sin is. The devil is a liar. And his sinful temptations are always harmful. God's warning to Israel still rings true today. When God spoke to the people of Israel in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, He said, Behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. We cannot escape. We cannot hide our sin. God knows it. We cannot hide it from Him. When you can honestly say, if God's against it, so am I, then you're heading to victory. That's the thing we need. If God's against it, so am I. And that is what ought to be on the heart of every one of us. If God's against it, I'm against it. It doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter what the neighbors are doing or if some other Christians doing. It doesn't matter what so-and-so did. Uh, if God's against it, I'm against it. And that, if we have that attitude and that heart, it'll help us and give us victory. That's really the steps in the right direction. So the Apostle Paul feared the venom of sin. But Paul also pressed toward the victory over sin. Paul knew what he must do to be victorious. He admitted his own weakness. We see that in the context. He talks about the race and how he's running because there is a need for discipline. He saw, he saw that and he admitted his weakness here. This was David's first step to victory, Psalm 51, after he had sinned against God and committed adultery with Bathsheba. Psalm 51 begins out there and David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before thee. He said, God, I'm guilty. I have sinned. That's the first step to victory. 
We've got to admit to God, God, I'm wrong. I'm guilty. Paul determined he was going to win. We saw that in verse number 24. He said, so run that you may obtain. I want that goal. I want to reach that goal. I'm going to do what's right. Paul practiced daily temperance or self-control. In verse number 25, he he illustrates, he says, every man that strives for the mastery or to be number one does so, uh, is temperate in all things. The word temperate means self-controlled. He's self-controlled. Every one of those sports players that excel are temperate in what they do. They are self-controlled. They discipline themselves to work, 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 or push, 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 push to be able to get to that goal and win the race or the, whatever they're involved in. Paul said that's what we've got to do spiritually as well. He said, I'm going to be self-controlled. And he kept under his body. Look at verse number 27. Here's where you need to write a few notes if you haven't already in your Bible. That first phrase there, he says, I keep under my body. The phrase literally means that he Beats his body black and blue. I beat my body black and blue. Why was he talking like that? He said, I'm going to completely subdue my body. I'm going to crush my desires. I'm going to conquer my desires. I'm going to use harsh discipline to get victory. Why? Because there's sometimes that we face temptation. We say, I just can't get victory. It's because we're not hard enough on ourselves. We need to say, I'm not going to do that. Period. That's not right. I'm going to get victory over it. God's going to help me through this. I'm going to beat myself black and blue before I do that. I'm not going to give in to that. And Paul said he literally forced his body to say no to sin. I'm not going to give in. And folks, that's what we've got to do. It's not easy. Victory over sin is not easy. It's not just saying, oh, God, please give me victory. And zap, we're done and we're, we're free from sin. It doesn't work that way. It's a daily struggle. Daily working to conquer. And it's a beating ourselves black and blue, so to speak. Not literally. It won't help you any to get a big stick and start beating on yourself and making bruises. That won't fix your sin. But he's using this as an illustration for us to show us the harshness that needs to be done there. He was saying, I'm not going to let my body do what it pleases. Then he says, I'm going to force my body to severe subjection. He goes on there. He says, but I I keep under my body. I beat it black and blue and bring it into subjection. This term here means I'm going to treat it like a slave. I'm going to treat it like a slave. Now, you say we we can't really relate to that very well because we don't have slaves and we don't treat people like they would. If you treated people like they did in those days, you'd end up in jail. You know, but they, they were harsh on those slaves. If they didn't obey, bang, they got themselves in trouble, in a lot of trouble, and beaten, and sometimes even beaten to death if they didn't do what they were told to do. Paul said, I treat my body like a slave and say, you're not going to do that. I'm going to beat you black and blue. I'm going to keep you under subjection. You are not, you are not going to do that anymore. No way. And he didn't give in. You know, it's so easy. The devil comes and says, it won't hurt just one more time. Just one, you won't do it again, just once. Just try one more. He's lying. He's lying. Don't fall for that bait. 
We've got to say, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. And he beat himself into subjection. He says, I'm not going. I'm going to be a slave driver over my body. I'm not going to let it stand. Paul so desperately longed to please God with his life that he went to extreme measures to be victorious. That's what we got to do. we got to be extreme. Christ can give victory over any sin. You may say, yeah, but you don't know what I've struggled with. It doesn't make any difference. He can give victory over any sin. Now, I'm not denying some things are hard, especially addictions and things like that. People get involved in it. It's not, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying, oh, it'll be a breeze. You just do the ABC and you'll be done. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but you're going to have to beat yourself into subjection, just like Paul said here. And I'm not going to let it get victory over me anymore. I'm going to get victory. And it's going to take discipline. But any sin can be conquered with God's help. Playing with sin is like playing with a deadly snake. Eventually, it'll inject its venom in you. You'll get bit. You can't play with a deadly snake and win. And sin's a deadly snake. You can't win. It'll beat you. It'll defeat you. It'll harm you. Victory begins when we stop sugarcoating our sin and agree with God that it's a filthy, wicked sin for which Christ died. It doesn't matter whether it's a lying tongue or an addiction to pornography or some other lustful thing or a gossip, whatever the sin may be. And when you say, I'm going to get victory with God's help, I'm not going to let this conquer me. God will help you. God will help you. But you've got to agree with God. Stop sugarcoating it. Excuses like, I just can't help it. I need the release. It's just the way I am. They're all lies. They're lies. Satan tells us those lies to defeat us. The reason that people have sex outside of marriage or cheat on their spouse or become sexual abusive or look at pornography or do any other sin It's all because they have not kept their bodies and their minds under spiritual discipline. They have not said, no, it's not going to be that way anymore. With God's help, I'm not going to do that. They yield to the sin. The reason people can't give victory over any sin is the same reason. They do not follow Paul's example. What did Paul do? He said, there's a race to be won. And we're in that race. And he says, I'm going to keep myself self-controlled. And I'm going to keep myself uh, running in this race. And he says, I'm going to beat my body black and blue. And I'm going to treat it like a slave. And I'm going to force it into subjection. I am not going to lose this race. I'm going to win. And Paul was absolutely determined. We cannot expect God to give us victory if we refuse to do our part. We cannot just say, well, you know, I've prayed and prayed and prayed about this thing, and God just doesn't take it away. God didn't say he was going to send a zap and your, our sins, temptations are going to be gone. He said, I'll give you strength. I'll help you. And that's when we need to run to God in those victory steps in James chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. When he says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Draw nigh to God, and God will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep over your sin. He said, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. God promises. There's victory in Jesus. There's victory. But we've got to do our part. I think this is where I, for years, struggled with different temptations. I'd say, but I prayed and prayed and prayed and it just doesn't go away. And I was expecting God to somehow send a zap from heaven and one day I'd wake up and think, oh, I don't want to do that bad thing anymore. It doesn't work that way. God says, here's the plan. This, you've got to beat yourself black and blue and make yourself obey and do what's right and submit to me and I'll give you strength to resist the devil. You run to God and God will come close to you. And he says, that's the key to victory. And when we do slip in sin, we need to confess our sin to God and weep and mourn over our sin, not just say, well, was, sorry God, it was another boo-boo. No, weep and mourn over and say, God, I did it again. I'm sorry. God, forgive me. Don't let me do that again. I want to victory. And you beat yourself black and blue and you trust God. And you say, God, give me victory. I'm not going to quit until I get the victory. We need God's help. You know, one of the things that is very humiliating but helpful is to admit your failure and your problem to a close friend, preferably your spouse or a close friend that you trust, and say, I want you to check with me regularly and ask me point blank, how are you doing in that area? Accountability will help us. It's humiliating. It's humiliating to say, sweetheart, would you please ask me regularly whether I've been thinking wrong thoughts or doing wrong things or whatever the situation may be. And when they ask, we need to be honest and say, I'm doing okay or I'm I'm struggling still. And then you get on your knees together and you pray together for victory. But don't give up. Folks, we need victory. We need victory in our lives. And every one of us desire to cross the finish line and have God say, well done. But we'll not hear that well done if we haven't gotten victory. So we need God's help. So don't give up. You can do it. I'm struggling too, folks. I wish I could say, do it like me. I'm I'm victorious. I've conquered some sins, but I've got more things to conquer. I haven't reached the pinnacle yet. I still struggle just like every one of us. But we can't give up. And so this morning, you know deep down in your heart what no one else knows. You know where you struggle. You know with what you struggle. You know how hard it is. But with God's help, you can get the victory. And I urge you today to give in to God. He said, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. You've got God's promise. You can do it.